Welcome to Life Play. This is George G. And the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Dr. Thomas Jordan. Dr. Thomas, are you ready to do this? Yes, I am. <laughs> All right, sir. Let's go. Thomas is a PhD, a clinical psychologist, a psychoanalyst, a postdoc, faculty member, an author, and the founder of the Love Life Learning Center. Dr. Thomas, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, why you do uh, what you do. I uh, I live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I'm a married man uh, with one son. Um, I'm uh, in a large practice. Uh, I enjoy uh, working on uh, all kinds of stuff, but I tend to specialize in the unhealthy love life. That seems to be drawing my attention more and more as we go along. Um, I wrote a little book back in 2019, and a lot of people liked it. It's getting a little bit of a buzz, so I'm I'm here on podcasts spreading the word a little bit because I think there's a very important message in the book, and it needs to be talked about, so... Um, here I am. <laughs> I love it. And what is that message? Um, that uh, people can work on their love lives. And there's a way to do it that's straightforward and produces uh, oftentimes very dramatic results. I know this personally, because part of the reason I wrote the book is I changed my own love life. And in the book, I talk about that experience. And uh I, I, I drew some interesting understandings from it, and I wanted to pass it along to other people because I don't think you need to be in therapy for up teen years to actually make changes in your love life for the better. Uh, I also have seen a lot of people over the years, George, that have very, very disappointing love lives. Um, uh, part of my practice or just becoming aware of uh, the people around me. And I realized that uh, oftentimes they repeat disappointments over and over and over again without a consciousness of what's going on. And uh, without that consciousness, you can't make any changes. And it's very tragic because people can get to their 50s and 60s and reach a period of uh, a point of resignation where they feel like love is too hurtful, can't do anything about it, a string of disappointments. And uh, I think that something can be done about that. Uh, we have an outrageous divorce rate that goes up and down, and it hovers around 50%, can be lower. But I think it's too high, and it indicates that there's a lot of disappointing love lives out there that need attention. How very human of us to engage in the same behavior over and over again, oh, expecting my God. a different Come result. You know, you know what's hopeful <laughs> about it, though? What's hopeful about it is that there's learning involved. If we're doing the same thing over and over again, there's learning involved. And learning is a very user-friendly concept. We learn from the beginning of life to the end of life. So if something can be learned, it can be unlearned and something better learned. Once you know the process, once you know what to look for, I think the unlearning process can be talked about and, and, and implemented. And that's what my book's about, helping people become aware of what they're repeating and and suggesting a, a three-step method that's very effective to promote change in what they've learned. Where do I get my relationship behaviors, my 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 love behaviors? Is that the right term? Where where does it come from? Okay. Um, I would say two things. One, love is a unpredictable, uncontrollable, universal phenomena. We can't control it. We don't know where it comes from. It's a beautiful thing. In the course of a lifetime, 
We can probably experience it multiple times. Um, it's wonderful. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, what I'm talking about is the relationships people form when they fall in love. And, and look at the phrase, fall in love, George. It indicates we fall into a hole or something, you know. It's, it's involuntary. It happens to us. Unfortunately, people, some people engineer, I'm going to call it engineer, an unhealthy love relationship to contain that love. And what happens is the love is not allowed to grow, not allowed to thrive. And uh, unfortunately, it often ends uh, tragically for a lot of people, or it never really gets started in some instances, you know. So uh, what I'm about is I'm about the relationships people form, because that's something we can do and should do something about. Once you become conscious of the type of relationship you're setting up, then there's the beginning of an un of an unlearning process that can take place. To, to, to answer your question in one more way, uh, the family of origin is a very powerful first classroom for all of us. Unfortunately... The learning that takes place there is predominantly unconscious. It's not like our parents, our our family of origin sets up a blackboard and says, "George, this is this is what love's about." When you fall in love, this is the kind of thing you should set up to contain and grow that love. Unfortunately, and it's not taught in schools, by the way, as well. And yet, it's such a powerful experience that can create suffering when it doesn't go well. Um, but so we we leave it to the family of origin. And in many instances, the family of origin can teach healthy relations, demonstrate them. But in many instances, unfortunately, it teaches unhealthy love relationships. Children learn them. And if they're not, un not conscious of what they've learned, and they usually are not, then the repetition pattern takes place. There are people who become aware that what they've learned about love relationships is unhealthy, and they dedicate themselves on their own, without any reading, therapy, to do the opposite. I've met people like that. It's an interesting manifestation of consciousness. Who knows how it happens? I'm, I, I'm still looking at that. So there are a group of people that will get there. But there's also a very large group of people who repeat unconsciously the same unhealthy patterns over and over again in their love life. It it makes sense to me. And I could certainly look at, at and for better or for worse, our parents screw us up in, in, in most every way. So why wouldn't, what, why, why wouldn't relationships also be? <laughs> there's, there's, there's more screwed up ways than others. <laughs> Love life is a big one. I think, I think. A thousand you know? percent. <laughs> thousand I, mean, percent. I grew up in a family where my mother really nef left, uh, left home. Her parents lived upstairs. My brothers and I lived downstairs. My mother was one of six children that survived uh, infancy and fetal life, unfortunately, for my grandmother. So when she was born, my grandparents really held on to her. She was very unhappy about no freedom in that respect. And she was an unhappy, dependent, controlling, and self-centered person as a consequence of those experiences. I learned in my family of origin, 
that women were dependent, controlling, and self-centered. And guess what kind of women I found, or <laughs> I imagined I found, between the ages of 17 and 35? Crazy. <laughs> right. Until an analyst here in New York pointed out to me that I was using my mom's template to conduct my love life. And had he not done that, I think I'd be divorced two or three times by now, uh, probably in resignation, uh, because dependent, controlling, self-centered people are not really prepared for the intimate relationship that's needed in a love life, a healthy love life. So I made corrections. Um, I, I spent time with female friends. I, I found independent women, no sex, no romance, just people to, to get to know because I didn't have any sisters. And after about five years of that, an independent, not controlling, not self-centered woman showed up. I married. I've been married for 28 years. Congratulations. Her well office is next to mine. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, um, well, I, I, has there ever been a more important time to be having these kinds of conversations? It strikes me that so many young people, we, we are struggling with the tools that we've been given. Many of us struggle with the tools that we've been given from our family of origin. If not everything was perfect and we as human beings have a tendency to grab a hold of the bad stuff and, 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 mm. and, and not necessarily the good stuff. And then you marry that. It's kind of a pun right there with social media and pornography and wow. everything else that's going on in the world. Yeah, no. Um, um, in 1972, a man by the name of Leo Buscaglia in California at the University of Southern California, educational psychologist, I believe he was. He was teaching a class. One of his female students committed suicide because of a love life problem. He was so moved by that. He went to the administration. He said, listen, you have to let me teach a love class. Mm -hmm. I want to teach a love class because my students don't understand love and they need to understand it better. They laughed at him. Leo, don't you have something better to do? Come on. And he persisted. And so they gave him a classroom, no credit. He taught it, George, for four years, standing room only, 100 mm -hmm. students could fit in the room. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to ask you a question. Does the University of Southern California still have a love class on their curriculum? <laughs> Probably not. Hopefully, hopefully they do. Yes, George, I think you're correct with that. Right. But when 100 students get into a classroom, standing room only, doesn't that say something about what they need to understand, what they need to learn? Um he was so moved in the first class. I remember reading about it. He he started to tear up mm -hmm. and he said, look, I don't know if I can teach you about love. I might not know myself. We'll learn together, he said. And, and so it became an exchange between the audience and himself that really, and he wrote several books about it as a consequence, uh, learning and love. It was fascinating. So... Since 1978 or whatever the year was that you 72. just mentioned, 72. So forever, forever. It doesn't matter what's going on. If it's, uh -huh. you know, 
whatever new thing that will be happening in 20 years, we'll still be having the same problems. It's unbelievable. You know, I, I make the point in my book, George, that there's two emotions. And I know this from my practice. I've been in practice for 34 years. You know, I, I've seen a lot. Um, I'm very interested in the interper. I'm an interpersonal analyst by training, and I I look at the interpersonal lives of people. I think interpersonal relationships can be healthy and healing, and I think interpersonal relationships can be damaging and destructive. So I'm very interested in that continuum, that process, you know. Um, and I I just I I I wrote in my book that there are two emotions that are so important in human experience that we don't teach anything about love is one and the true opposite of love, grief, grief and love. When you lose love, you grieve. So that's the true opposite, not hate. Hate's a sick form of anger. Hmm. What we're talking about here are two emotional experiences every human being will encounter at some point or another in their lives. And how to grieve, how to love. I can't tell you how many patients I get on a on a monthly basis who are, come to our practice to handle grief. A member of their family during the pandemic, it it it, it shot up. It was even more common. People who don't know how to grieve, they've never learned how to grieve. They got the message that grief was sickness or weakness. Uh, as a consequence, they block grief. Symptoms occurring as a consequence of blocking grief, because grief is an emotion that doesn't go away. People have come into my office handling grief in unhealthy ways, similar to what I'm talking about with love. They they extracted unhealthy messages from their family experience because the people in their family were unable to, to handle grief in a healthy way, taught uh children that grief was sickness or weakness. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of, you know, parents scolding children, don't cry, be strong, so that tears are discouraged when grief involves tears. There's a sadness there that needs to be shared. Um, same thing with love. People learn these, people learn how to handle these very powerful natural emotions in ways that are unhealthy, and that's that's a part of the problem. You know, I was I was about to tell you about a person that showed up in my office years ago. I never forget her. Early fifties, doing a bit of an intake with her, and she tells me that she grew up in a violent home with an alcoholic father who was physically abusive to their mother. And as children, she and her siblings witnessed this. She leaves home. She now, as an adult person, divorces two men who are alcoholic and abusive to her, and she's working on a third who sounds like he's emotionally abusive, and who knows where that will go. And I remember I'm sitting in my office, George, and I, I, I look at her and I ask a simple question. Do you think that what happened in your love life now as an adult woman is related to what you experienced growing up. And she looked at me with a look on her face like, what? And this is an intelligent, educated person. And what I realized in that moment is the link between those two experiences. 
is not there. And that's something that it's human. It's not a matter of intelligence. It's not a matter of anything, not a matter of mental illness. I think I think it's a way in which people compartmentalize their experiences when they're painful, perhaps. So linking those events together is a step in the direction of inviting a person to identify. And that's what, in my book, I talk about the unlearning method as the way to correct what we're talking about. Step one in the unlearning method is to identify what the unhealthy relationship experiences were that taught us what we're now unconsciously repeating, and what we've learned about love relationships. And that that's step one. That identification process, that consciousness, that focus and concentration is such an empower uh, such a powerful step. It's the beginning of the process of empowering ourselves to be able to do, okay, let me I'm I'm gonna go inside to fix my love life, not you know, outside, even though people go outside quite a bit, you know, let me go inside to the psychology I'm carrying around. I call it the psychological love life. Let's go into the psych. So step two is to label, label what's repeating as unhealthy. What that does is it messes with the repetition. Now it's not unconscious anymore. You see it happening. People have come into office, into my office working on these things and said to me, you know, I met a very good-looking person last night who I think is just like the person I got out of the relationship with. And the way she or he is saying it is like, I'm attracted to them, but they're not good for me. I'm attracted <laughs> to them, but they're not good for me. So it's like now there's a challenge consciously in the person's mind. And they're able to, you know, have a therapeutic conflict between what they're learning and what they've learned. So now there's a bit of a disruption going on. It's like, I'm not going to let this unconscious pattern dominate my love life. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to sit across a dinner table with someone I'm dating, and I'm going to listen to the stories. If I hear dishonesty, if I hear abuse, if I hear disrespect of some kind or neglect of some kind, I might question that and say, wait a minute, is this person ready for a relationship? So stage two begins the unlearning process based on the fact that we've identified. And stage three, step three of this process is to move, and I like to use the word opposite, in the opposite direction. In my book, I list 10 unhealthy relationship experiences that kept showing up in my practice. Uh, abandonment, abuse, rejection, neglect, self-centeredness, dependency, dishonesty. Uh, e experiences that when we're exposed to them growing up, for example, we can learn lessons that are unhealthy. And people hang on to those lessons in the back room somewhere in terms of what they believe, how they behave, how they end up feeling in a love relationship. So it's important to get all of that out, to look at it, to get it out of the closet, to look at it. And then people can move in the opposite direction, as I did. Independence, uh, not controlling, not self-centered. When I started to find people in that 
group, people who are in in a better position to be in a love relationship, because those qualities make it possible to set up a healthy love relationship when a person falls in love. So, and you know, people are not everybody out there, even though they might think they are, ready for a relationship. I might get a lot of argument and bad press about making that statement, George, but at this point, I've done too many podcasts to care. <laughs> I think that, you know, if people look inside, check out the book, think about their love life as a consequence of this conversation, then I, I'm glad, I'm gratified. Don't believe me. Look in the mirror. Look at yourself. Take a look. If you see something in your early life and it starts showing up in your current life, Maybe it means something. Maybe that's something you can look at. Okay. <laughs> I think that that's all really well said. And, and it makes all the sense in the world to me. We are, you know, creatures of habit. We follow predictable habit. patterns. Yeah. Ooh, what a dirty word that is, George. Habit. <laughs> you know, that's that word is in the, in the the dirty word category. Another one right next to it is familiar. Mm. family familia sometimes the familia is unhealthy as well as healthy it could be unhealthy it's a it's a such a it's such a it's a word that hides behind a little bit of a good kind of thought right <laughs> familia oh familia but if the familia is unhealthy and you're gravitating towards the familia all the time it might be a problem no doubt. Why is it what? Why is it controversial to think that there's people out there who aren't ready for relationships? Uh, because a lot of people out there, unfortunately, are acting like they are. Mm. We're they self, don't know we're they're deceiving not. ourselves. Yeah, they don't know they're not. And if they know they're not, that's another category. Mm -hmm. That's someone that is doing something intentional that's not cool. But there are people that don't know they're not ready, and they're out there trying. And these are the people my heart goes out to. I say, wait a minute, man. If you buy a book for 15 bucks and sit in, under an oak tree, read it, get confused and have to think about your love life, what's that worth? And you start saying, wait a minute, how come I'm always finding dishonest people in my love life? Uh-oh, dad cheated on mom and tried to hide it. How come I always find people that are unavailable, emotionally unavailable? Uh-oh, I was abandoned as a child, left with a single mom that brought us up, great mom. But she struggled. Dad went away. Now I find people who go away. So invaluable. No doubt about that. For fifteen or twenty dollar, or however much it is, I, I don't <laughs> think I don't think you could. If you were able to, you feel if you are struggling to find a happy successful loving relationship um i think that you'd be 
for lack of a better term, nuts not to uh, <laughs> dig into this deeper. <laughs> That's not a, a medical term. Or maybe it is. Is 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 nuts the appropriate term, doctor? Nuts. <laughs> nuts. <laughs> That's good, George. That's a clinical one. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll use it occasionally. <laughs> That guy or gal's behavior is nuts. Yeah. Dr. Thomas, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they pick up a copy of your book? Yeah. Uh, Amazon.com is the best place to go. And I have a website that talks about our work. And I've got, I, I wanted it to be an online library of real articles that help people with love life issues, the real stuff, not the hearts and flowers, the real stuff. And so I have about, it's been up since 2012, over 300 articles on it. Uh, the books on there, my wife and I, we offer love life consultations or telehealth by phone. For people who might read the book and 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 believe they need a little bit of support to get through those steps I talked about, so uh, all that information is available at lovelifelearningcenter.com. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed as much as I did, show Dr. Thomas your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to lovelifelearningcenter.com and. Take advantage of all the great resources that Thomas has been working on and pick up a copy of the book and make the investment in yourself because you are absolutely worth it. Thanks again, Thomas. Absolutely. Thank you, George. Thank you for inviting me. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.